0: Trek Geeks is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character.
1: This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the world's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your smartphone. Keep listening for a special Trek Geeks discount code when you adopt a new Tribble at ScienceDIV.com. Science Division, Trouble's never been this fun.
0: We are The Board, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. You will listen. Resistance is futile. You must comply.
1: fleet command central command it's the biggest little show this side of the alpha quadrant the flagship of the trek geeks podcast network greetings ladies gentlemen children of all ages and welcome to trek geeks Uh, somebody thought i was going to say fenway park but i didn't but what can you do i'm your co-host bill smith we're very excited to have you here for episode number 224 and a fun discussion that we have on tap for you um and of course, with by saying "we," that means that I, I probably have somebody to co-host the show with me. Um, I wish I could just cut the episode right here and leave a cliffhanger, so you never know who it is. But he, um, let's just say, if he were an episode of a two-parter, he would be the best of both worlds, part two. Pretty much a letdown, wow, but resolves the story kind of well. He is Dan Davidson. Dan, um, fire.
0: I knew that you were going to say that. I knew you were going to introduce me as being the letdown in a cliffhanger. So I appreciate that very much. Because we did have some letdowns in the cliffhangers department, I'm afraid. A During few. TNG, yeah, a yeah. Little bit. It's good to be here, man. Uh, episode 224, To Be Continued, is the title. Which, that's a cool name. i got to admit, you've been coming up with some good stuff lately. I don't know what you're doing, but keep it up, pal. You're going to get a gold star on your homework pretty soon.
1: Oh, I love gold stars. Yeah, I know you do. I um I, every now and then I have these these crazy ideas and um, I I just I figured two parters was a good topic and um what better title for a, an episode on two parters than to be continued so here we are it's
0: fantastic what a, that's fantastic what what you originally thought of doing was even better that we we're going to end <laughs> the episode on a cliffhanger before I go on vacation but. We love our listeners too much. We didn't want to do that to them.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I think if we'd done that, there would have been a revolt. Um, <laughs> people would have just been bailing on us, and, and I couldn't say that I blame them, because it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. what, 30 years ago, best of both worlds, cliffhanger happened, Goodness right? gracious. That was the summer of our discontent.
0: 30 years. Yeah. 30.
1: That was a brutal summer, man.
0: Oh, I just remember I had a good friend in Hudson, New Hampshire, and I was at her house, and um the first Borg episode was being shown before best of both worlds, and I gotta admit I did not see q who before that time. Oh really? I had not seen it, so I was freaking out, and then best of both worlds was, and I watched it at her house, and it was just she probably thought I was more of a psychopath path than she thought of beforehand because I was just going berserk at the end of the episode
1: it's It's one of the greatest. Uh, alien adversaries ever created in Star Trek mm-hmm. and those TNG episodes right up to best of both worlds are just are are they stand head and shoulders above everything else yep. there are some Absolutely. good episodes after that mm-hmm. but uh, they really are in a class all by themselves speaking of being in a class all by themselves Dan our listeners are the best of, of all of the podcasts. And um, we'd like to hear from them every once in a while. How can they get in touch with us? We do love hearing from you guys. So please uh, uh, reach out
0: and uh, say hello. If you're looking to get in touch with us, you can head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact and there you will find a multitude of ways to communicate with us. There is Skype chat, there's email, there's voicemail by way of that big blue button using SpeakPipe. We've been getting some SpeakPipe messages recently, Bill. We have. Uh, Whatever way you want to contact us, make it so, because we love hearing from you. Plus, of course, there's also the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook. It's called Camp Kittimer. It's our official group, and it's where over 1,700 other friends gather to talk Trek. It's always positive, and we never allow any bashing or gatekeeping we will shut that down, right, right down. down, right down uh, to join the group. Just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan for the amazing job they do running the camp. Also, uh, please remember that uh, any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places, Bill, uh, it's going
1: to be used in a future episode. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, so well, send those, so. send those comments in. Okay. Not you. Oh. Imagine comments for your face.
0: Oh, Oh, there we go.
1: Dan it's time for the news from Treknews.net <laughs> Spanning the Alpha Quadrant <laughs> for all the news on all the Star Trek Yo. <laughs> it's Treknews.net. <laughs> You sound like your battery ran out <laughs> online at tracknews.net. There's a great scene in the office where, uh, where Michael has this, uh, will go on and on and on, and Pam says he'll do this until you take out his battery, because that's the game they play. Mm-hmm. And he'll go, I was just learning to be low. <laughs> and he'll stop right down in the tracks like you're taking his battery out. Uh-huh. That's what I'd like to do with you on a daily <laughs> basis. First up, Dan, we have been waiting for this news seriously for like a year. A long long time and finally we have a release date for the latest star trek series on cbs all access and on uh, crave tv in canada
0: absolutely a year god, god it seems so much longer than that actually um we do have that my friend both of us have been eagerly awaiting any and all news for star trek lower decks and we finally know when the series will launch On Thursday, August 8th, on CBS All Access here in the United States, the premiere episode telling the story of the least important ship in Starfleet will begin. It is time to rarely go where no one has gone before. And as an added bonus, as some of you may have seen on social media this week, uh, we are happy to bring you Discovering Trek Lower Decks each week to discuss the episodes. Joining Bill and I will be our dear friend Sarah from the Rewind Podcast, available right here on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. And Casey Shasky, one of our wonderful producers and also a producer of Star Trek Continues. Each episode will have a fun round table to uh, and talk about all the fun that is Lower Decks. And I don't know about you, man, but I am pretty excited for both the show and this new po- podcast.
1: You know, it's interesting because I, I didn't know what we were going to do for Lower Decks and neither did you till they yeah. announced the date. And, and you and I said, well, do, do you want to talk about it? And we said, yeah. <laughs> um, so then we decided, well, let's just do it as part of discovering Trek because it is new Trek. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited. I think this is going to be fun. And that's really what I'm looking forward from this. And especially during this time. Absolutely. I need some fun. And I think that Lower Decks is going to fit that bill.
0: I think it's great because it's only 10 episodes, and I, I think they're only going to be half-hour episodes, and it's animated. So we're going to have just short discussions, round table, kind of, you know, joking around, having fun. Um, it's all about fun when it's you, me, Casey, and
1: Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just hope it's sober. Up next, Dan, Sir Patrick Stewart is anxiously awaiting a return to normal life to start filming Star Trek Picard Season 2, but... During the interim, he had quite the announcement for his fans. Yeah,
0: he absolutely did, as many folks know, during this COVID-19 pandemic. Sir Patrick has been on social media with his daily sonnet readings, but recently he hasn't been posting them as much, and he finally told us the reason why back on June 30th, as he announced, quote, a longer-than-expected break from sonnets. But I can now share the project I mentioned. I'm writing a memoir. I've been thinking for some time about writing down my life stories from my earliest years in Yorkshire onwards, end quote. His publisher, Gallery Brooks, said that the book will reflect on Stewart's major roles like Star Trek, as well as his childhood in Yorkshire, England, marked by poverty and domestic violence, as well as his lifelong political ad- advocacy and ongoing charity work. Uh, dude, this guy's like the Energizer bunny. He just he just doesn't stop, and now that he's in a golem, he's going to go on forever.
1: <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> and we should add that Gallery Books is a division of Simon and Schuster, an imprint of that particular publisher. There you go. So um, it is going it, to it's it's not like it's being published by the internet. This is being published by a major yeah. uh, major publishing house. Um, I for one will get the audiobook of this because oh. I can't imagine any better way. Um, to hear about Sir Patrick's life than to have Sir Patrick read it himself. And I'm almost positive he will do the audiobook. I mean, I would listen to him read the phone book, for God's sake.
0: Yeah, I don't do audiobooks, but I tell you, if he does this audiobook, I will also get it because it would be just amazing to listen to.
1: One of my other favorite things to listen to that he does is his one-man version of A Christmas Carol, which I've had on mm-hmm. CD for ages. Mm-hmm. Um, but to hear him tell the stories of his life I imagine it will be a a really riveting listen. I'm, I'm looking forward to this almost equally as much as I am Star Trek Picard season two. And finally, Dan, friends online recently learned that I have begun playing Star Trek online and I truly am having an absolute blast. And now Cryptic Studios is launching a new campaign with some familiar voices. Yeah, and
0: uh, I gotta say that uh because you have joined the ranks of Starfleet, I too have returned to the game uh, uh, with a new character of my own. I am having a great time as well. And join both of us join us just in time for the newest release. Uh Cryptic Studios recently announced Star Trek Online, A House Divided. This new story really sounds badass. After accidentally sending herself and players through time with stolen Federation technology, Jula, sister of... Takuma! Thank you. Finds herself at war as the modern Klingon Empire has done the unthinkable and, and allied themselves with the Federation. Jula and her lieutenant Akar, I don't know if it's Akar or Akar. Grandfather of Chancellor Galron, have taken it upon themselves to right this wrong and call their true Klingon brethren to arms. It's now up to the player to quell this rebellion alongside Chancellor Martok and maintain the newly founded peace within the Federation. That's the description of this release. The new updates will bring back our friend J.G. Hertzler to voice Chancellor Martok from Deep Space Nine, of course, as well as Robert O'Reilly, who pay, who played Chancellor Gaoran. Uh, and he's going to voice Galron's ancestor, Akar, or whatever, or how you pronounce the name. Um, and he is a loyal servant to the treacherous Jula. Um, this character was introduced in a, previous uh, release from Cryptic Studios called The Rise of Discovery, but uh, Cryptic promises that Robert O'Reilly brings, quote, a new dimension and character to the role. Now, I haven't run into this part of the story yet, Bill. Uh, I'm Lieutenant Trek Geek Dan, and I'm still in Discovery's time period on the USS Cali Aria, Uh, but I can't wait to see and hear this new adventure from Cryptic Studios, and I know you're having an absolute blast with it.
1: I am uh, Lieutenant Commander Jonas Dwight Schroot of the USS Scrantonicity, (laughs) and I have encountered Jaula. Um, and she's she's bad she is a bad person to know um, I, uh, I, I encounter her playing through the, uh, the discovery levels in Star Trek Online
0: I have run into her just nobody else yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be pretty amazing it's I'm having so much fun and I didn't think I would have this much fun playing Star Trek Online so if you haven't picked it up yet uh, you really should give it a shot because you don't have to be an expert in MMO games by any means because I certainly am not <laughs> that's true Well, Dan, a new month has drawn nigh and is upon us. And as always, Fansets has added new Star Trek pins to their ever-growing library of awesomeness.
0: What a great word that is, dude. Awesomeness. Hashtag awesomeness. And why not, man? I mean, these pins are awesome. We look forward to the first and the 15th of every month because that means new pins are available to order at fansets.com. And right now, you can order the latest in the Women of Trek set It's Jadzia Dax in all her glory. It truly is a work of art with the glitter, the Starfleet Delta, and even the Trill logo. You can't go wrong when you add this one to your collection. But that's not all. No, no, not by a long shot. The newest micro crew pin is now available from Star Trek Picard. And it's the one and only Dodge before the unfortunate event on the rooftop because that would be just Gross. (laughs) Gross. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also available right now uh, are the final two episodic pins from Discovery Season 2, Episodes 13 and 14, Swat- Such Sweet Sorrow. Swatch. Swatch, yes. Trek uh, and that's yeah. the crest- Yes, exactly. And that's not all, because in just one week as we record this, the second set of new Trek pins for July will be available, and they are from the Women of Trek, Seven of Nine, along with Micro Crew pins Narrick from Picard, and... Wesley Crusher from TNG. Shut up, Wesley.
1: Wesley Crusher. (laughs) Who? Wesley. (laughs) Those pins are going to make people very happy, Dan, as well as this little teaser. So Fansets is going to have a big announcement next week, and we will be sure to let you know as soon as we have the thumbs up. Until then, head on over to Fansets.com and put a bunch of pins into your cart. And accessories? and gift certificates, just put them all in there because, you know, if you spend more than 30 bucks, you're going to get free shipping anyway. On top of that, at checkout, enter the Trek Geeks exclusive discount code for this week, CLIFFHANGER, for 15% off your entire order. That's C-L-I-F-F-H-A-N-G-E-R in all capital letters. This bonus code is going to be available to use until Wednesday, July 15th, 2020 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time.
0: Fansets, our pins have character. We thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Trek Geeks.
1: You know, Dan, when we were originally putting this discussion together, mm. I actually thought about doing it as a two-part discussion where we would just have a cliffhanger at the end of the episode. Like yes. no coconut, no nothing, yep. and it would just end. And then maybe two, three weeks from now, we'd come back with the second part. But Months. No. <laughs> so what you're saying is you want the summer off. you can't go nowhere Dan I don't know why you want the summer off that's true (laughs) (laughs) but we decided that the best thing to do with two parters would be to bring on two fantastic guests to help us talk about them Dan
0: oh my god see your logic knows no bounds I don't know where you get it I I really don't know where you get it. But that's good. I I appreciate the fact that you thought of that thing. You've actually come up with some good ideas recently, so congratulations on that. You're going to get a gold sticker. Um, Yeah, so episode 224. That's a lot of episodes we've done, and we've never done two-parters. So here we are. And we're bringing in two amazing people to help us talk about Trek two-parters. And uh, the first one is just a a wonderful person. Uh, We had the opportunity to finally meet her at STLV. She's one of our greatest friends. Both of these people, I should say, are actually um, esteemed producers of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. So we want to say that right up front. Um, So welcome to the show. First, way out in Phoenix, Arizona, you know, the COVID-19 might be getting really bad out there, but she's not bad. She's awesome. She's Christina Werther. Hey, Christina. Welcome Hi. to the
2: show. <laughs> Hello. Well, it's so nice to see you guys.
0: It's it's great to have you here, and uh, I'm glad you're safe and healthy. Uh, you're smiling, so that's good. Uh, so welcome. I know that we're going to have a great discussion. And um, also, hailing from Las Vegas, not only is he the biggest Star Trek fan out there, he might be the biggest Star Trek fan out there because he's like 7'7 uh, and like 450. He's a huge guy, and we love every bit of him well okay we're gonna bring it down to the right size he's what six four I don't know 180 I don't know something like that he's Chris Trabuzio uh, he's our good friend we love him you hear him all the time on Camp or you see him typing messages and you see him on Twitter all day long Chris welcome to the show buddy
3: thank you guys thank you very much for having me um, it's a pleasure to be on it's a pleasure to be a producer of your guys' show uh, I'll just say this for the record you know you guys I found you guys listen to you And not for nothing, you guys put on absolutely great content and what you guys do for the community. For me personally, you guys are strictly positive, and I thank you for that, and I'm sure our listeners will thank you for that as well.
1: Wow, thank you so much. And that's the show, everyone. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's 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 hard to follow that up because we're so grateful for everybody who listens and especially for the people who have supported us all along, like like the two of you. It's yeah. great to, to be able to have these opportunities to come together and talk about this thing that we love, um, especially during times like these, um, where it feels like they've droned on and on and on and on, much like the summer of 19... 19- Eighty nine, no 90 summer of 1990 when the best of both worlds came on and we all felt like it was an eternity because we got the first cliffhanger ever in star trek history and tonight we're going to talk about two parts yeah um we should state right off the bat that the best of both worlds is the best two-parter in Star Trek history. I mean, um, it's it's debatable, it's it's arguable to some, I'm sure, but um, it it set the bar higher that than than any other, and and pretty much every two-parter in Star Trek has high to has tried to come as close to greatness as that one has. So we're not going to talk about that one tonight. Um, there's also a bunch of others we're not going to talk about, and that's only because of time. We could sit here and talk for hours about two-part Star Trek episodes. So if you have one that uh, that you wish we'd covered, hit us up on social media um, because uh, the four of us will talk about Star Trek pretty much all the time.
0: I'm going to take it a step further, actually, Bill. You know, everybody agrees, uh, I, most everybody agrees that Best of Both Worlds is is the best two-parter and the best cliffhanger in Star Trek. I would go even further, it's one of the best cliffhangers in the history of television, I think. Um, back then, when that Mr. Warfire, Fade to Black, To Be Continued showed up, that was the ultimate stab in the chest back then because um, it had never happened before. And unlike today with streaming media, we had to wait months to find out what happened. And that was
1: just pure torture for millions of Star Trek fans. I'm sure that you both, uh, Christina and, and Chris, Watched it live. Um, What was your summer of 1990 like, Christina?
2: (laughs) Well, let's see. I just graduated from eighth grade,
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: but I do vividly remember because it was a family affair. You know, we watched Star Trek together, and I remember watching it and really having that panic moment of, "Oh my gosh." you are going to kill a captain. <laughs> What's happening? I mean, it was very real to me. So that was a very long summer.
1: Chris, what about you? I mean, you were probably 45, 50 years old in the summer of 1990. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure you can remember back that far. What was that summer like for you knowing that we had to wait for part two?
3: Well, thank you, grandpa. Um, <laughs> let me just say, uh, yeah, it was, I was just going in the high school, I believe, 89, 90. Yeah. So I was just going into high school. So it was the longest summer because it was one of those, especially if you were a fan and best of both worlds dug you in from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And right at the cutoff, it was the draw, the jaw dropping moment. So it was, and you had to wait three months. I mean, granted you were outside playing basketball, but most other Star Trek fans were going playing basketball going, gee, I wonder what's going to happen. So, I mean, it really was that, that much of a cliffhanger. You're absolutely right. I've never seen cliffhangers much like that, for sure.
1: I'm only 5'9". My, uh, my basketball <laughs> game leaves a lot to be desired. Um, and I have to say, 1990, that was the summer just before I turned 21. I tw- turned 21 the fall of that year. So nothing made me want to drink more than that cliffhanger. I'm just stating that as a fact. Face um, leaves much to be desired.
0: Whoa, <laughs> where did that come from? I haven't thrown at your face in like in a, several episodes, so I just wanted to get it out of there. Wait,
1: yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk about a series of two-part episodes tonight. And I thought it would be a fun exercise to, to talk about whether these should have been two-part episodes. You know, did, did it serve the story for it to be two parts? Or could it have essentially been one single standalone episode? And if it was a cliffhanger, did, do you think that it provided the kind of anticipation you'd want as a producer of a television show you know like best of both worlds we were all antsy all summer long waiting to find out what happened to lacutus of borg um and we want to not necessarily use that as the benchmark but the goal of a two-parter is to get you to tune in next season so we want to analyze whether or not it did that and then we'll talk about favorite parts um was the second half a letdown compared to the first best of both worlds part two i'm looking at you Mm -hmm. um Dan Davidson, I'm looking at you uh, because you're a huge letdown. You're a tremendous slouch. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Judge. (laughs) But I thought we'd start off with The Menagerie, the original two-parter. The first time in Star Trek history there had ever been a two-part episode. There wouldn't be another one until Best of Both Worlds. So we went to over 20-plus years. And um, Dan, it's certainly one that uh, up until that time people knew instantly where you were talking about when you mentioned the two-parter.
0: Oh, absolutely. I've always appreciated the menagerie for what it did. Um, Basically, it was its way of bringing in the cast that we all know, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty, and bringing in the crew from the pilot that never really got what it deserved and melding them both together. It was a way for Gene to show the original pilot in a way that also inter- you know, kept his regular characters involved in the story. I always thought it was a great way to weave the two together. And because it was a whole episode with another whole episode, it made sense to make
1: it a two-parter back in the 60s. It was kind of meta in a way. It was a great cost-saving measure. Yeah, um, I, It's one I love to watch because I, I think I like to watch it more than I like to watch The Cage, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. I think The Cage is a little slower personally um but that's why it it didn't sell as a pilot honestly christina when you look at the menagerie um it's obviously not a cliffhanger do you think it could have served as a suitable cliffhanger if tos had been into that sort of thing
2: well i think so i I felt like it it definitely had a lot of content that i I don't think it could have fit into one episode so i think it, it needed to be the two um and i do feel like i mean to think that spock would basically you know commit mutiny or, you know, in some form. And, you know, that obviously was something to kind of raise your eyebrows and uh, try to see if, you know, what actually was going to happen. Um, you know, what was he doing this for? And so I did feel like it was a good plot and needed that two-parter.
3: Chris, what about you? I'm going to say, yeah, I mean, it was a great two-parter, but nowadays with Discovery, you know season two and we get the call back to vena and we get the you know um in the valley of in the valley of shadows you can't look at either menagerie or the cage without calling back to that because each one of those episodes can filter into each one of the menagerie and the cage so i you know for its standalone yes it was great but discovery kind of ruined it but didn't ruin it in the fact that you can't look at one without looking at the other three and trying to connect the dots
1: that's really a great point i hadn't considered that until you brought it up just now but yeah discovery really does kind of change the landscape of that entire episode and i think it's fascinating um later on this year we're actually going to look at Uh, the cage. And then if memory serves uh, back to back on successive weeks, simply for that whole Pike Vena angle, but you're right. Discovery changes it immeasurably Dan.
0: It really does. I'm, I'm of the uh, mindset that it changes it in ways that I just absolutely loved. Yeah. yeah. Uh, We've talked about it on discovering Trek, the way that they were able to pull so many aspects of those classic episodes into this storyline with, um, you know, Vena showing up on the, in his ready room and and just freaking Pike out and, and the Telosians and the, the bringing things just like the sounds of the Telosian illusions into that episode really brought it home for me. And I really loved it. One thing that I, I really found interesting when you were talking to Christina about the cliffhanger is even though it's not a season ending episode, it kind of ends on a cliffhanger note when Kirk says to lock Spock up and then it just, To be continued. I really think that that was a cool aspect. And was that maybe the first kind of cliffhanger that we ever
1: had in Star Trek, if you really want to think about it? I think so. Actually, I got to say, the first time I saw it, I actually saw both parts back to back. Um, The local uh, station that syndicated it in Boston, one night showed it as like in movie format. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning airing both episodes back to back without the to be continued section right So it was like watching one long contiguous episode and it was amazing. After that I saw it split up each time and I wish I could supercut it the way I saw it back in, in the mid eighties yeah. as a teenager. Yeah. Um, and I totally lost my train of thought because, um, I just remembered that one piece and <laughs> now the rest of my gray matter is gone.
0: Well, it, it when you, when you put it <laughs> together in one full episode like that, it's, it's not really a cliffhanger and it, no. it, it works. It could just be a lock them yeah. up commercial, come back in and then it's the next scene. Um, I think the way that they
1: deal with it as a two-parter really works
0: for television from the 1960s, though.
1: Agreed. Um, I, 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 there are so many great moments in that episode. I think one of one of the things I like about it the most is the opening of part two, which gets really artsy with the lighting and the blocking. It almost looks like a, like a, a, a beat poetry night with people facing different angles <laughs> with different lights shining on them. It's really cool. Christina, do you have a favorite part of that particular two-parter?
2: You know, my favorite part actually is just sort of the reveal um, that the yeah. Commodore was never really there, you know, and it was all a Talosian illusion. That that was just, yeah, that was pretty. <laughs>
1: hashtag telusion. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I, you're not going to be able to spell that, so don't use the <laughs> hashtag if, if you
3: can't. Chris, what about you, ma'am? Well, great, Uncle Bill. I would think, um, really, to be honest, I'm going to have to agree with Christina because that's Where I saw it, and you know, you don't watch episodes regularly, you catch them when you want, you know, and this was doing research for this. I totally forgot it was a mind bleep. Because at the end that's that's what it is. It's the sixties version of LSD mind bleep because that's what it belong that's what it characterizes. So I'm along with Christina. The reveal was the best part.
1: Dan, are you gonna go three for three on the reveal being your favorite part, or do you have a different one?
0: No, one of the fav- my favorite part of this episode has always been something that I got. I got to get into character for this, <clears throat> and and it's the scene where Spock is playing with the computers in the in, in whatever room, and you hear <clears throat> here we go, Starfleet operations, Starfleet operations, Starfleet operations, Starfleet operations, Enterprise. I just love that every time it's on. I'm like, yeah, Starfleet operations.
1: <laughs> I was on mute, and I thought you were gonna go. Boop. too soon too soon too soon Yep i i think that the reveal is one of my favorite parts the very end where you get to see uh, well essentially pike dropped off on talos 4 yeah it's enormously satisfying in that in that ending because this is not a character that we knew he was not a revered character to Star Trek fans at that time because it was really the first time they'd ever saw him. But over the last 50 plus years, we've grown to have an affection for Captain Pike in his various iterations, whether it's Bruce Greenwood in the in the Kelvin Timeline movies or or now Anson Mount in Star Trek Discovery. But on the whole, I have to say that that's probably my favorite moment where you realize that that Spock did the thing for Pike, and really, if you think about it, it's probably one of the the first demonstrations of the needs of the one yeah. outweigh the needs of the many. Because Spock risks every single person's life on the Enterprise, including Kirk's, including McCoy's, including his own, to bring Chris Pike back to Talos. If you think about it in those terms, Chris,
3: it's pretty. It, it's pretty. It's pretty awesome. It is, and it shows somewhat of a camaraderie or friendship between the two so much that you would risk your life for your friend. You know, I'm unsure about you and Dan, but I'm pretty, but I'd like to, I'd like to think that each one of you would risk each other's life for, to save each other. Okay. Hopefully. <laughs> but, but really, <laughs> but really that's what it's about, right? It's about friendship and putting friendship before duty. Right. And no. you know, with spock it's always been duty 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 after that isn't it
0: amazing that this character who's not supposed to have emotions would do what he does for his first captain and then would do anything that he, else that he could for his next captain. If that's not close friendship and showing emotion, I don't know what is.
1: Well, it tells us a lot about Spock and his loyalty. And Christina, I think that's probably one of the greatest character attributes and why so many people are feel drawn to Spock because he has that affection for one of a better word.
2: Right, right. And it's actually thinking about what Chris said earlier, too, you kind of start seeing now in discovery, sort of, you know, that actual relationship and the beginnings of that relationship and how it grew. Um, And so that's kind of a wonderful, you know, aspect that we now get to see and we'll see hopefully more in the future.
1: And I want to state for the record, I would risk Dan's life to save mine any day of the week. I just want to put that right out there. Um,
2: Can can I say one thing?
0: Yeah, yeah. At the end of this episode, and you're right, Bill, that moment is really great. But I got to say, that's the fastest beam down to a planet in the history of Star Trek because he leaves the room. And then all of a sudden, the Talosians like Captain Kirk, and he's already down on the planet. So that's pretty good for them. Maybe
1: the Talosians just sort of use their mind bleepery to bring him down there. I don't know. Maybe he was there all along and wasn't even on the Enterprise. But you had the power to go home all along. Um, (laughs) Sorry, it's a little Wizard of Oz break. I I apologize. (laughs) Well, another two-parter that is pretty significant and the favorite of many people is actually Redemption 1 and 2 from Star Trek The Next Generation. Of course, the one that sort of centers around the Klingon Civil War and Worf's departing the Enterprise to fight with Galron. Um, I watched it again recently, and it was a lot better than I remember. I mean, I thought it was okay when I saw it initially. But um, I think that there's a lot that goes down in this episode, Dan, that I don't think that, and I don't know about you, I just didn't have enough respect for it and all the universe building it did at the time.
0: It does a lot of building. It's not my favorite of all of the two parters. I do enjoy it. Of course, anything with Tony Todd, I'll watch over and over again yeah. because he's just fantastic yeah. uh, as Kern. Um, but, you know, I, I have been one to say, oh, I know that you've been one to say it. And I've been one to thank this. I don't know if I've said it very much that sometimes they overdid it with the Klingons in, in TNG. And I understand that it was the new introduction of the Klingons and, and getting their culture established in a way that we had never seen before. This is a great two-parter. I don't know if it was cliffhanger-y enough for me to end a season and begin a season. I mean, we, I, I, I hate to say it, but if you look at what we had previously for a cliffhanger, it's just like, oh, all right, war's gone. Oh, goodbye. And, and that was it. Okay, we'll wait till next season and see what happens. It just didn't, it didn't grip me as much. It gripped me, but it didn't grip me as much as Best of Both Worlds.
1: Interesting. Well, let's unpack that uh, for for a few minutes. Christina and Chris, uh, Christina, we'll start with you. Was that two-parter as impactful? Did, Did you find it a sufficient of cliffhanger as far as cliffhangers go in Star Trek?
2: I guess it met the definition of cliffhanger. This is my lawyer nature coming out now. (laughs) (laughs) But I had the same sort of reaction as Dan where, you know, it was not, I didn't kind of, wasn't like waiting, waiting, you know, just can't wait till it premieres. Like, okay. I knew it was going to come out. What was, you know, what was likely going to happen. It was a good episode. And I did rewatch recently too, just to also kind of refresh my memory um, and it was, I think, a better episode than I remember. But I'm, I'm in the Dan camp that, yeah, probably not as cliffhangery as I expected.
1: I'll allow it. Chris, <laughs> what about you?
3: Oh, <laughs> third cousin twice removed from my mother's sister's brother's cousin. I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, I'm going to go ahead and complete the trifecta with Dan. I'm going to go, yeah, it's not cliffhangery. While it is a warf story, it, it truly is the warf story. You know, goes off to war. I'll see you later. It really does. It really didn't grab me. It, I'm like, damn, yeah, meh. You know. Oh, oh, we got a yeah. meh. Yeah. I, right I got a meh. That, that, that's that's the, the meh part of it.
0: Now there are a lot of things that I really like about the episode. Yeah. I love the Klingon ships. I think the Bortas is in this one, if I remember correctly. I could be yeah, yeah. it is the Bortas. Yeah, it's the Bortas. I love the look of those futuristic Klingon battle cruisers. Mm. I think they're they're sexy, they're gorgeous. They they got a lot of firepower. Galron, of course. Anytime we see Galron, um, it's always a joy. I love those wide eyes. It's kind of how I look at you most of the time, Bill. Um, and there's a, there is good story to this. Um, but it just it just didn't give the, oh my god, I have to wait three months for this. Stop looking at me like that. Um moment that we got with best of both worlds and it's sad that we have to continually go back to best of both worlds to rate other cliffhangers in star trek but you know when you're the best of the best of the best you know with honors sir um that, i guess that's what's going to happen
1: i'm going to go out on a limb here and say that i think part two of redemption is better than part one i think that part two is incredibly satisfying i think it mm-hmm. resolves the whole klingon civil war thing you get the whole Sela factor you know, you get uh, you get the Durases. You get you get a whole bunch of stuff in part two. I think they could have done this as one episode, but I'm kind of yes. glad they didn't because they took the time to unpack a lot of the part two stuff. Which I think if they cut any of it out, Christina, it would have been a real mistake.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I've actually forgotten also about um, Data in Command. Yeah, you know, I would have forgotten that 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 episode contained it, and uh, it was really it was good to kind of look back at it again and kind of see. So that that dynamic and, you know, how he defied orders in order to, you know, expose the Romulans.
1: Right. Chris, is part two better than part one? I'm going to say, yeah,
3: but I'd like to be without Sela. I thought Sela was misused in this episode. Interesting. I thought Sila was in- really misused in this episode. Maybe somebody like Tomalak would have been, you know, something mm-hmm. along those sure. lines. Sila could have been used for something more, uh, more impactful. This really didn't. Grabbed me as a Sela. oh my God, it's Sela episode. Um, I, I really think, you know, center, the first half of the story was Worf and dividing himself between the human and the Klingon side. And now he's going to find his Klingon side. Um, and then about the second half is the battle, which grabbed me more than the reveal of Sela behind the what? curtain.
1: That's really. Uh, that's a really great thought. I hadn't thought about that. I think they did a nice job, Dan, of of building up her involvement, mm-hmm. teasing her in various episodes to the point where she steps out of the shadows. Eventually, it's kind of a oh, well, this yes. is a thing. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it really could have been any Romulan, honestly.
0: I think that they did the uh, whole Cela thing because you know we kind of want to see we you know the denise crosby factor you know with yesterday's enterprise and all of the problems that could be coming about that could be a discussion with what happened in yesterday's enterprise it was a way to bring her in the storyline it was and i apologize i thought Worf leaving at the it was the last moment before to be continued and it was not it was denise crosby stepping out of sila and that was a, a a very interesting moment but i i totally agree with you bill Episode two is, this is something that doesn't happen often with a lot of two parters in Star Trek. Episode two is far better than episode one. I think I love the Sutherland aspect with Hobson and the yeah. way that he, uh, he is kind of a jerk with data just because data is an Android. It's a good, um, it's a good, it, when you look at it, he's a, he's being a racist towards data and it's a, and especially with what's going on right now in our world, that is a perfect example of um, how things may not have come to be what, gene's vision is in the 24th century because we still have people acting like that um but i think that i think episode two is
1: is much better than episode one the other great thing we get as a part of this this second half of the episode is picard essentially telling data yep you disobeyed orders this is going on your permanent record but damn well done man (laughs) and i love that aspect i love that that depth to picard where Picard will play by the rules but Picard also knows when the right thing is the right thing Chris.
3: I you you see it in Redemption part 1 where he's so by the book and you know he says it later on in all good things you know, I should have done this I should have been with everybody I should have been more of a family man with Mike crew. But you got to think that Worf's decision you have to be somewhat personable yeah, I, I think of it more in, in a management aspect. You can't be business all the time. When someone comes to you with a life-changing decision or, or a soul-searching decision, you have to be, you have to see from his side and you have to be more, I'll give it to you. And whatever you choose is your own path. I'll let you go. Plus, he was the, you know, he was the arbiter, right? He was, he was the guy who stood behind Worf. So you would think he would be with the choice of Worf going to find his Klingon heritage, but he wasn't, he was so stuck by the rules because of what encompassed the mission, you know? And and that's what I, that's how I felt about it.
1: No, I I can totally see that Christina. True or false. Captain data would fire Dan out of photon tube. True. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic.
2: If he felt there was a reason, I'm sure, you know, but you would you would do it, Dan. You would willingly do it.
0: I, w- I would willingly do it.
2: Yes, you would willingly volunteer if data had to do it.
0: Well, I do like data. So
1: Bye, just, Dan. It's been nice working with you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know one of, one other interesting thing is, is we haven't touched upon yet for this two parter is I really feel that these episodes show strengths of Lursa and Beator in other episodes of this, of this series and DS9 and especially uh, in the movies. They are not, um, it's, they're not strong roles. I think this one, especially episode two, um, really uh, uh, shows them at their strongest.
1: In, in this episode in particular, we get to see sort of the manipulative Klingons, mm-hmm. the kind that I like. The Romulanesque ones. Oh, well, no, but yeah, I, I think it's different though. Whereas Romulans are all about guile and deceit, Klingons are all about tactics. And I think that's one of the reasons I like Core so much. Core is, Core is a bad guy in the original series, but he is a master tactician. And Lursa and Betor, although they don't have a whole lot of honor in the TNG sense, they, they are staying one step ahead of everybody else for a good amount of that time. And I think that's one of the things I appreciate about them the most in this particular episode. So, um, go ahead. So you're saying that Core was a
0: was a master tactician. Is that what you said? Would you yeah. say that he's a Dahar master
1: tactician, Bill? So moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> what we could have what done? This wrong uh, with me? What uh, <laughs> I've been asking that for twenty five years. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Sorry. So <clears throat> moving on to Deep Space Nine. One could argue that there aren't a whole lot of two-part episodes in Deep Space Nine, and I picked one that wasn't nearly as obvious. We could have talked about past tense. We could have talked about some others, but I thought that probably Deep Space Nine's most interesting cliffhanger is the break between a call to arms and a time to stand, or a call to arms. It's not a call to arms. Um, The season cliffhanger and the following season premiere, which starts the Dominion War um, and one could argue that it's a cliffhanger with part one and then 26 other parts. Yes, absolutely. Um, I rewatched those episodes just yesterday and I found myself continuing on through episode four and five and six of, of Deep Space Nine season six. Um, Dan, I think that this arguably is probably one of the best scripted two parters in all of star trek and there is no way in hell they could have done this as a single standalone episode
0: oh god no not at all this is there's so much going on and there's so many things unraveling and raveling at the same time if that makes any sense and what's going on with with giving up the station and and mining the entrance to the wormhole which i gotta say um we're gonna get into our favorite aspects of the uh of, of the episodes shortly, but I got to say the whole idea of mining the entrance, it's about time that Star Trek thought in more than just one linear dimension, you know, except for in Star Trek 2, of course, because we all know the, what they did there, but they actually mine in up and down and all around. And I think that's, that's great because we don't really ever see that in Star Trek. And just the fact that Rom was responsible for the mines is just another idea, another reason why I love the character and love Max Gredencik so much because he is such an important character at the beginning of this arc all the way through the end because of the things that he does because he is an engineering genius.
1: 100%. Christina, I have to say one of my favorite moments in this particular episode is toward the end of part one where they're in ops and Cisco says, all right, Starfleet personnel, we're evacuating the station and Kira shoots him a look like, what? (laughs) Like (laughs) she doesn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) when she's the one who's going to have to carry out Cisco's awesome plan to disable everything. Yes. Um, That's one of my favorite parts, simply because it makes me chuckle. Do you have a favorite part of this particular two-parter?
2: You know, I I liked actually kind of like more of the friendship between Kira and Odo because, you know, kind of a little awkward and and then they kind of just sort of regrouped and back to their friendship. Um, But actually, the thing that was interesting to me I think with DS9s, it feels so real, you know, so when they're all on that Jem'Hadar ship and they're trying to figure it out and they're kind of grumpy, you know what I mean? Like they're kind of <laughs> snapping at each other and I'm like, that's exactly how you'd feel. Like you'd be worn down and you're tired and you're trying to, you know, get through it. But at the same time, you know, they're a crew and they're working together so... Yeah, there's a there's a lot of little moments that I appreciated.
1: It's really great that Cisco could wear his Google Glass in that one scene <laughs> and and see through the the ship. I always thought that would be a weird way to to see where you were going because anywhere you looked, you're going to see nothing but space. Um, and I get why he got a headache because I would get a migraine after wearing that thing, Chris.
3: I'd have to agree. Um, I think I don't know if I have a favorite part for both episodes. Sure. I think, For me, as a whole, it was almost like a 24-episode where there's so much going on, right? You have A-plot, B-plot, and even like a C-plot that you have everything going on, and it all ties together. I think the suspense is the winner, absolutely, in this. Um, More towards towards the end, and then we find in the beginning, and now you have the Cardassians take over the station and what to do and so on and so forth and what happens in between. But I think the suspense and then the battle. You know, you know, the going out and having to leave home, you know, never not knowing when to come back. But I, I'm gonna stick with Dan and say Rom was the hero and Rom really goes from the the bar back to the man with the plan. No doubt about it.
1: Oh, one hundred percent. Rom is the M V P of of the end of the season and, and probably um, a good chunk of the next season during the occupation of the dominion on deep space, not sorry, Turok nor, uh, um, no, sorry. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah. <laughs> Just a little well, detail, Dan.
0: <laughs> I have, um, I actually have two favorite parts and they're both from the first part of the, of this quote unquote cliffhanger. The first one is more of an, of, of a, of a symbolistic uh, uh, moment. And that's when, uh, Ducat enters what is now his office. And the only thing that Cisco has left behind is his baseball to show that he's coming back. And you can tell that Ducat just is looking at it. And he says that he knows that it's because he's going to be coming back. But I think Ducat is nervous when he, when he realizes that that baseball is there for that specific reason. I love that moment. Of course, I love what Mark does with the character of Gul Ducat. He's my favorite character in Star Trek history, but The moment that I just absolutely love and can just watch over and over and over again is right after that when the Defiant and I think it's the Rotarin Join up with the fleet. And this is the first time you have seen a Federation fleet like this in Star Trek history. And that was an oblique moment right there. It looked gorgeous. I've always loved what the special effects team on Deep Space Nine has done because they did things that were never done before. And that was the first time that we really got to see what a Starfleet fleet looks like.
1: I think we were working together together. When that episode came out, <laughs> and if memory serves, the Monday morning after that, the first thing you said to me was, "Oh my god, oh my god, did you see the end? <laughs> did you see the finale?" And of course, I was like, "Naturally." <laughs> um, but yeah, that that visual of the fleet is amazing. The other thing I love is the fact that Cisco thinks of everything, Christina, except, Oops. oh, where's my kid? <laughs>
2: Okay, I did wonder about that. I was like, Jake? I mean, (laughs) he's just sitting there, Rom sees him, what? You know, um, yeah, I did find that to be an interesting, I guess, kind of plot point. But Cisco was right. He's an adult, right? You know, he Mm -hmm. can make his own choices. He chose to stay behind and report on the news.
1: (laughs) Jake was packing his sofa upholstery clothes. <laughs> and i gotta think garrick made those for him so i don't know what's worse the fact that garrick made him or the fact that jake wore them. i i did think that that was an interesting choice to leave jake on board um as a war reporter and then even more interesting that really none of his reports were getting out um <laughs> as he's writing these stories and talking to a and, and reporting things and it's i just that part just always kind of struck me odd. Although I'm glad they found a way ultimately to, to sort of work him in. Did did that seem odd to to you too, Chris, or it it
3: seemed odd to me, but like Christina said, he's an adult, but still it's your kid. You know, you had, I, I'd like to call that part of the scene, like deep space, home alone. Yeah. Kind of thing where (laughs) it's like, Oh my God, Jake, you know, kind of thing. Um, (laughs) I, I, (laughs) I I don't understand, but I do understand because he's learning to be an adult and you see Cisco being the father other than the tactician that we know him to be when he, when the article comes out, you know, that all this is going on and look at the byline. It's your fault, you know, that this is out. Well, yeah, you're, you're my father. Well, I'm the captain of the station. Things have to stay secret. You know, you have, you, you have duties you have to do. But all the same I think I think my favorite part would have to be the drama of the 7th fleet when Bashir gives the news of the 7th fleet coming in and you see Cisco the master tactician become human that yeah. he's because he's commanding this thing going forward he's tasked with this another fleet is lost and it's the whatever it was and how many days. Um, it's just so heart-wrenching. It's so warlike. And it's one of the reasons why I, why DS9 is my top two is because each one of these episodes relates to something in current day, though it was 25 years ago. I mean, a lot of Trek does that. But this series in particular hits home on almost every episode of the, seri- of the series.
1: The writing in Deep Space Nine, especially in this part of the series... Um, season five and six, I think it is, um, is just so so cohesive and so tight that everything they turned out in that period was was just amazing. Um, yeah, there are a couple of slower episodes here and there where they try to throw the pace off. Um, there's a couple of Ferengi episodes that I personally could could watch or not, but they are really in a mad slog to the finish of the series now. At the end of you're starting from season six all the way through seven, and If you go back and you just look at what it took to script that out and write it, it's nothing short of masterful, Dan.
0: Absolutely. That's what I mean. It's the first time we ever saw this in television, this type of of more than one season arc. Um, You know, it's not the episode of the week anymore. And I think that they. they were hugely successful with that and it wasn't appreciated at the time, which is why I think now deep space nine is the favorite for so many star Trek fans as it has become 25 years old and people are watching it now when they have streaming television all over the place and they can see what this type of serialized television is like. I love what they did at the end of this, of this uh, two-parter everyone. And that's, you know, at the end when they're um, looking to destroy that catch cell white facility and Their ship gets severely damaged, and according to Dr. Bashir, it's going to take over 17 years for them to get back to Federation space, and that opens up the whole next chapter of a a few episodes that are fantastic episodes. Rocks and Shoals, I think, is coming up right after this. Right after it, and that's a fantastic episode. So, I mean, it starts with the end of season five really gets going at the beginning of season six and then just goes on for the rest of the season. Like you said, Bill, there are a couple things thrown in there here and there to break things up. But on the whole, unbelievable television for those two and a half seasons.
1: It starts two seasons of To Be Continued without the yeah. words appearing on the screen. And I think that's what's so beautiful about it and yeah. why I, I threw it into this particular discussion. Dan, of course, we want to take a minute to talk about our friends Kaylia and Jay at Science Division, the makers of the Galaxy's first Interactive Trouble Interactive Tribble. See, yeah. I'm getting Dan D- Davidson disease. Yeah. Makers of the f- Galaxy's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your own smartphone.
0: Trouble, Tribble. You know it's going to come out at some point during this. this yeah. Part, right? Yeah. Uh, absolutely, man. We love small businesses and we love working with CBS licensees. And Science Division is no exception. Their product is just fun. And they're pretty soft, too. And they purr like a Tribble. Naturally. You know, un- unless they see your face because then they'd shriek like they have seen a Klingon. I mean, you scare me each and every day, so it's no wonder, right? I, I would try to do the impersonation of a Tribble scream right now, but I don't want to scare anyone. More importantly, unlike your face, Bill, Tribbles from Science Division are not dangerous because your face is dangerous. Sorry.
1: Gee, Thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, you can buy your Tribble right now at ScienceDIV.com. And when it arrives, you can download the Section Section K7 app on your iOS or Android phone. You name your Tribble. And you can even choose what ship it's going to be assigned to.
0: Right. And of course, uh, whether you use the app or not, your new Tribble will be such a great addition to your Trek collection. The Tribbles have three modes. At ease, where they're happy and content, like I am right now. On duty, which is a random mix of happy and angry sounds, which I am most of the time when we record. And watchdog. <laughs> And when that happens, well, let's just say uh, there are probably Klingons around or Bill's face. Uh, the app also has an attack button, which makes your triple scream on demand at friends, family, or even co-podcast hosts.
1: Oh, I wonder who you could be referring to there. I'm not sure. Now, of course, if you order your Tribble today, Science Division is giving Trek Geeks listeners a special $5 off the adoption of your Tribble. Head on over to ScienceDIV.com to place your order. Now, normally, these furry little creatures go for $69.99, but if you enter the special code K7, that's capital K and the number 7, use that code and you will get $5 off your triple adoption. Now, this offer code is valid now until... July 15th, 2020, at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time.
0: Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. And we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode.
1: Looking at one that's a little more defined and not a cliffhanger, but certainly one that is revered in Star Trek history has to be Voyager's Year of Hell. Voyager did a lot of two-parters, probably more than your average Star Trek series. Um, And I want to say they were quality two-parters. They did, you know, they did cliffhangers. They did mid-season two-parters. They 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 seem to do more, at least in my observation, more than their fair share. Whether that's just my perception or not, and for me, Year of Hell is right there at the top. I, I I have to I have to credit it to to two people and their performances, and that's Kate Mulgrew who is fantastic in both halves, and Kurtwood Smith who is nothing short of flawless in this episode dan
0: um yeah 10 out of 10 for ten. this guest
1: yeah
0: uh he is absolutely amazing this is my favorite voyager episode i combine them as one i just i i love year of hell so much i i have a krennum warship sta- sitting right over uh at the other side of my room from uh um from the uh, star starships collection which i absolutely love. I actually think i have a cremon warship as a ship in star trek online if i'm not mistaken. I have to go see if i have that. I want it somewhere i just don't remember when. Um i love this story. The story is amazing. It's great time. It's a great time story. It's it's sad. It's got a lot of sadness in it. In what and what Anorax and Obris and everything have been doing for so long to try to restore this timeline and get the love of his life back. And how many times have we seen that in Star Trek and Star Trek two and in Star Trek, 2009, you know, the whole idea of, of what the villain quote is going through and doing is for his wife or his significant other or however you want to call it. And it works perfectly in this. I just love this the aspect of the time distortions and changing things so much. And just the fact that Voyager was there and they didn't know it caused an entire miscalculation, as Obris
1: would say uh, in the episode. And it's just fantastic. I have to say that we talked at one point about reset buttons and, and those types of episodes. And Christina, for me, I think this one is probably... If it's not a perfect reset button episode, it's certainly right up there because it it tells a compelling story and then finds a way to write the timeline that is pretty flawless.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, I actually thought it was interesting too because you know how there's a lot of commentary about how you know Voyager in one episode gets damaged and then miraculously the next episode is perfect, right? Well, it is two parter. I mean, you see it over and over how damaged it gets, and things are falling apart to where then she has to let the crew go, except for senior staff. And so it it was it was kind of like that continuity was there, um, and then they had the master reset, <laughs> but it was plausible, right, with the temporal yeah. incursions, yeah. and then everything began again. So I thought it was really well done.
1: I I think that the thing that that really sells me on this episode is that believability. I mean, you know that it can't keep going this way, although they had hoped to do it over more than just two episodes. But you get to see the loss and you get to see the toll it takes. And I think that's really what makes this episode stand head and shoulders above the rest. You know, Chris and Voyager, a lot of the times they kind of subdued their emotions and downplayed them. And this one, you see how frustrated and tired and weary everybody is. And I think that's why this episode is so great.
3: I have to agree. Um, You know, put yourself in their shoes. It's a year. It's three hundred and sixty-five days, non-stop working, twenty-six hours a day, probably maybe four hours of sleep. You try it and tell me how you feel. And if your hair isn't stand on end like Janeway's does. The thing about I love this. I love this two-parter, and I think I stand with most of the Trek fans that say this should have been a season arc. Yeah, from year for year one, year of hell one, year of hell two. This should have been a whole season. The only thing that ruins it is the fact that once year of hell two starts. She's got the fleet already. She's already made friends. Had this been a cliffhanger Mm -hmm. and year of hell two started, I wouldn't I wouldn't care how she got them, but because they're back to back, it makes you think, wait, you made friends so fast or whatever it is, because. All of Voyager is them out in the Delta Quadrant by themselves. They have to fend for themselves, so they have to make allies, right? This would be the perfect time in this two-parter to show how you make allies in in, in this time that they have to do it, that they have to go after Kurt Wittsman.
0: I was going to say one of the things that I, I really appreciate about this episode, and I didn't realize it until my rewatch uh, on H&I, is that this episode is discussed back in season two or three. Uh, they talk about it hasn't even happened yet. Yeah. And they're talking about it. That's the whole idea of the whole of these time stories are just so incredible in Star Trek. And, and I got to agree with you, Chris, 100%. In my mind, this should have been a season-ending cliffhanger where everybody splits up and then it makes more sense that when the next season starts, she's made allies. Um, I really think that that was a misstep, um, but it doesn't take away from from the love of the episode in any way, shape, or form for me.
1: Well, let me ask you all this, and since it's been brought up now a couple of times. If this had been a season-ending cliffhanger, would it have been as good or better than best of both worlds. No. Christina, we'll start with you.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know that it rises to the level of best of both worlds, but it would have been a good cliffhanger.
3: Okay. Chris, I'll go with, I'll I'll go with Christina. I'll say yeah, I say it would be the number 2, you know, best of both worlds being number 1. I would say it would definitely be top, top two for sure.
1: And Dan, nobody cares what you think. So um, I think one of my favorite parts of, of this episode, one of the things they do consistently with Janeway throughout Voyager is they try to give her plenty of hero moments because, damn it, she's earned every single one of them. And at the end, she gets the Schwarzenegger action hero line um, right before she crashes the Voyager into the Crenum ship and resets the timeline. They give her the very, very predictable times up And it is nothing short of awesome.
3: Time's up, Monorax. I'm going to bring my (laughs) Voyager Starship into your house real quickly. Yes. I'm going to drive it into your house. Yeah, it's Um, fantastic. It's
1: fantastic. (laughs) Um, Wow, that was a great impersonation, Christina. Great job. (laughs) And then the, the thing that I really love about the end of this episode is that they humanize it. You know, it could end with just Voyager going on their merry way. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, the last shot you get of the episode is Anorax yep. with his wife and his daughter living his life and being happy as if the whole thing never happened. You saw the life that could have been that actually was. Yep. And it really changes the entire tone of the episode. It actually it, it helps you empathize with him far more than you could have um, just watching the first two parts, and I think that 's really what's what 's key to the whole thing. Um, I, I think without that humanity it 's just another two parter but I really think that elevates the ending at least for me personally. What do you guys think, Dan
0: Oh, I absolutely agree. I love that final scene it 's you know he spent all this time trying to correct things, and then we see that. You know, and I don't believe it, that he has a daughter in this bill, but but he does spend the the time with his wife, and his wife says it's a beautiful day. Come spend it with me, and he puts oh, his yeah. work down, grabs her hand, and off they go. I'm thinking and of a different it, different episode. Okay. Sorry about that. That's okay because it's still it still works. I mean, it, it, it's just it's just a, a wonderful moment, and it's another it's just that one small scene to wrap everything up, and and Kurt Smith did just, a, just did a fantastic job. There's a couple of things that I really loved about this episode that have always. Stood out for me. Of course, I already talked about the way Ober says calculations, and my wife and I joke about that all the time. The moment where Janeway is saying goodbye to Tuvok, and she holds his ha- his face in her hands, and he's blind, the emotion in that scene is just unbelievable. And she hugs him, and he hugs her back in his way. I just think that shows that relationship that yet another supposed unemotional Vulcan has with his captain. Absolutely love that. And just the whole idea of the temporal incursions. Like when you see a a Krennum warship, that's just this little tiny thing. It's not a threat in any way. And then an incursion hits and you see the wave and the thing expands into a gigantic battleship right before their eyes. And the guy's like, yeah, we're just going to destroy you because you're nothing great writing. It's just fantastic. What about you, Christina?
2: Um, well, I did also like sort of that Tuvok Janeway moment, um, the emotion in her face. I mean, my God, she did such a great job of kind of communicating all of that in just a few seconds. Um, but I also liked how kind of seven sort of took responsibility almost for Tuvok mm-hmm. after, you know, the incidents in the Jeffrey's tube. And, and uh, so, you know, she was making sure to, he got to where he needed to be and try to offer assistance. And um, I don't know, I just kind of liked seeing even that small group that was left behind the senior uh, officers, you know, just trying to drink the coffee and, you know, I mean, trying to make the most of it. Um, they're, they were willing to, to do whatever they needed to do um, to keep going. And it just, just showed kind of their strength as a crew together and following JJ.
0: On that on that note, before Chris, we get your opinion, I want to say you you mentioned something, Christina. One of the things that's fantastic. I I don't know where he got it. I just know that I want tuvox shaving razor blade because that is the coolest razor blade ever in the history of shaving. Chris,
3: I think. <laughs> uh, are we asking my opinion on the razor blade? The the, the space <laughs> sure, space bic, or are we going with? Uh, <laughs> Gillette now Voyager, you, know why, or, or, now you know why I host
1: the show. Uh, <laughs> yes. Hashtag space bear. Yes. No, Chris, you could regale us with your favorite parts. I
3: think it wouldn't be Star Trek if there wasn't a, some sort of humanity in it all. Right? Yep. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be an episode of Star Trek if there wasn't that iota of humanity which we see at the end with the master reset and Anorax walking with his wife. The point with that. You brought up, Dan, about the, the, the humanity of Janeway. This whole series has been Janeway always wanting a family, but now has to have a family because of the predicament they're in. It's 70 years before they get home. You can't be a Starfleet captain and a captain alone. You know, it, it's kind of like what I went back and said about Picard. You know, you have to have that humility and you have to have that family sense in a in in a sense excuse me but Janeway always wanted a family and this was her family Tuvok being the closest you know the elder son if you will right Mm -hmm. so really that emotion just took off and and that's a that's another beautiful moment in itself
1: couldn't agree more it's uh it's definitely high up there among my all-time favorite Voyager episodes, so um, it's hard for it not to be because it's just written so, so well. Well, there's one last two-parter we're going to look at tonight, and it was one that I I almost didn't pick, but I think it's probably the one that makes the boldest statement out of all the ones on Star Trek enterprise. It's one that I think probably would have been better served as a season finale, although it occurs close to the end of the final season of enterprise. And that's the duo of demons and Terra prime, um, two fantastic episodes with a a storyline that is all too familiar in today's politics about xenophobia. Um, and I, I got to say right off the bat that I, I don't think anyone does villain half as well as Peter Weller does <laughs> villain. Um, he is superb in this episode. I mean, Kurtwood Smith is great in Voyager on a different level, but Peter Weller just screams sinister down.
0: He really does. He's so good in everything, and it's good to see. I love it when you we see actors that we're familiar with show up in different roles in different series. and And that was good. And I was very excited about this because we see Colonel Green, which we all remember from the Savage Curtain. I thought that was a real great continuity aspect uh, of this two Of this two parter, I think that what you just said, Bill, is, is very important in what I talked about it earlier and what we're dealing with in today's world and society, these are two must see episodes probably now more than ever, even back then when they first aired. And I'm going to be very frank and admit, I have not seen demons or Terra prime since the first time I saw them back when they first aired. It's been that long since I've seen them. I haven't rewatched them, but I remember enough about them to know how important they are with dealing with the issues of society, um, and xenophobia, like you put it, that we're dealing with today. Um, I know there's the aspect of the baby with Paul and trip, which I don't remember a lot of and not sure what that all ties in with the end. Cause I don't remember it. I focus in more when I'm remembering these about, about, um, uh, Colonel Green and Peter Weller's character wanting to get every non-human off of Earth, or they're going to start firing a giant weapon from the moon or Mars at the planet, something like that.
1: Right. Well, it it all goes back to uh, Peter Weller's character wanting Earth for humans,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Earth for Earthers, if you will, and not wanting any alien presence in the galaxy. I mean, he's a terrorist, and essentially he wants to destroy starfleet command before any kind of federation or alliance with aliens can be built um so you you get the xenophobia you get essentially racism you get fascism you get it all in one succinct two-parter i think that this is a great demonstration of how the writing and enterprise really kind of elevated in its final two seasons, but in its last season in particular, Christina, because I don't think this is a topic that they would have broached nearly as well in the first couple of seasons. Do do you think that's the case?
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I kind of feel like it, they had laid the foundation and this was, you know, an episode that really touched on, I think, you know, again, reflect society in a way. Um, And I really found it interesting when T'Pol was sort of calling out um, his hypocrisy for basically using some type of Argelian, you know, medication when he was all about, no, no, no alien influence, but yet it's okay when I need it, you know, when I need some assistance, Um, which again, I think is sadly something we see today as well. So I do think the writing was was really well done and uh, they did a really good job of just kind of communicating again the sort of the message um, and the, I guess, the fear that exists from some people and, and what that looks like and um, how that tends to, you know, leads to harm. Um, so it was well, well done
1: overall. You know, it's that whole, it's okay for me, but not for the angle. And I think they wrote that into the character extremely well. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, you look at at, at the Paxton character and he represents way too many people that we've seen in our own history on this planet, mm-hmm. Chris. And I, I think that's part of the reason why Peter Weller does such a great job. Unfortunately, there's a very rich tableau of characters for him to draw from as inspiration.
3: First of all, uh, Peter Weller, the actor, love him or hate him, you know, in, he was a great villain in Into Darkness. Yep. That being put aside, for what it is now, for what we're talking about with Enterprise, you guys, both you, Bill, and Christina, hit it on the head. He's portraying somewhat of the Hitler character. I don't mean to get political, but this is what it is. No, it's it's okay. history. Yeah. you know, yeah. he's 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 portraying the Hitler character. That's what I got from it. And he does it so well. Christina hit the point is, you know, it's okay for me to do this because I'm me. You know, never mind you. I'm me, I can do what I want. You have to do what I say. And the fear of the fear of the unknown, right? That's what that's another topic of this, of this episode of these episodes are is the fear of the unknown. We know what we have, but we don't know what it'll become. So we have to extinct it right away, and it's so poignant even now, like you guys were saying. But it was poignant back then as well, and it was poignant sixty years ago before then. Yeah, you know it's it's so topical, and it wouldn't be Star Trek without humanity. It wouldn't be Star Trek without topical subjects such as this.
1: You know, it's it's a great episode that that further illustrates that the greatest danger may not be out there. The greatest danger is within ourselves. And I think that I think this really causes Enterprise to get a little dark before the end, and I think it's necessary. You figure right after this, they go into the mirror universe, Mm -hmm. um, because that's a two-parter too, isn't it? Um, Yes. At least I'm pretty sure it is. Yes. And then they, you know, they have got one other episode, I think, the finale or something like that. Um, But uh, this is a yeah, This is an episode that that gets way darker than anything Enterprise, a very hopeful show, had done. Really, prior to this, they've done some some scarier episodes, some some visually dark episodes, but certainly nothing this uh, intentionally politically dark.
0: And I think that's what makes it work so well. Yeah, yeah, um, is the fact that they stayed away from doing s- these type of, of stories. I mean, every iteration of Star Trek throughout its fifty plus year history deals with epi- deals with topics that are current. When they're doing stories, I mean, we saw it with you know uh, Beale and, and TOS, and and we saw it in, in in every series. And this was the first time that Enterprise really you know put its toe in the water, so to speak, and it really worked. And it's it's another reason why I'm so disappointed when I look back at Enterprise to see what potential it had after they announced that it was going to be canceled, because the last half of season three and the entirety of season four were fantastic storytelling episodes. And because of that, you know, Star Trek boredom factor that hit back then, which I still don't understand to this day, we lost out at a potential
3: of three more great seasons of a, an amazing show. Chris. Yeah. I'm going to echo what Dan said, you know, I to me, I don't know if it's lore or not, but, I think it was rushed because they already knew. I think it was in the mirror. They said when they were shooting in the mirror, darkly that they knew they were going to be canceled. But if you look at the back half of season four, you know, you can tell it was rushed, right? They rushed the Romulan arc. They rushed the Ford, the Vulcan arc. I really, really was hoping for like Dan said, like three seasons. This would have fit this up. These two episodes would have fit in a later season. They could have, uh, they they could have expanded more of the universe in season four and left this for a darker tone, maybe set up for something else. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna echo with Danza. I, I I don't understand why the brass had to cut it because it wasn't fitting. It wasn't fitting their scheme. Their scheme of I, I, I think
1: part of the biggest issue was that it was on UPN. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, UPN was not a great success uh, as far as networks go. Eventually, it would merge with um, the WB to become the CW because both networks were kind of barely clinging on. And I've thought that all along that both Voyager and Enterprise should have been in first-run syndication like TNG and Deep Space Nine to give it its best shot. Because then stations could put it on when people were going to watch it. Um, I, I really think that, that Enterprise got shortchanged significantly by that, unfortunately.
3: Um, yeah, yeah I, I think if streaming was as big as it is now back then, mm-hmm. I think it would have been one of those shows that would have been picked up to go on a streaming service.
1: Yeah. Well, because you figure Battlestar Galactica on sci fi had roughly the same viewership as Star Trek Enterprise, uh, except it was on cable. And those are huge numbers for cable, but they're not huge numbers for broadcast television. And I'm sure that CBS and Les Moonvis was like, "Yeah, it's out of here. Star Trek's tired. It's done." Um, whereas if it had been on one of the CBS-owned cable stations, I'm sure it would have just it would have been a seven-season show. But that's just me. What do I know? <laughs> Say that again. See, I all I have to do is <laughs> set it up as for Dan to come in and spike it. That's how this show works, ah, Crockett. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Gronk's not gonna Gronk anything this year. Let's just put that. <laughs> that's out there.
0: that's true. He's
1: gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna try to Gronk something and hurt his hip. Um, sorry, a little sports ball talk there. Uh, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Um, so we've we've got five really solid two part episodes there that we've discussed. Um, of those five, Christina, which one's your favorite?
3: Of those five, it would be Year of Hell. Nice. I like it. Chris, what about you? I'm going to move her to second base, and I'll take first, and I'll say Year of Hell as well.
1: Oh, Dan, are you going to advance the runners as well? No, I'd like you to vote first, please. I know I'm,
0: I'm the host. I'm batting,
3: I'm batting cleanup.
1: No, I'm the host. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you get to hit the grand slam. That's yeah, right. I'm, going with, I'm going with Year of Hell. I get hit by the pitch, so everybody's moving up.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I wish you would get hit by a hundred mile an hour fastball. Oh, that would be amazing. Um, I, I'm actually, I, I'm not going to clear the bases. I'm sorry. Um, there's a reason why I was going to go last because I'm going to be the, the dissenting opinion. Oh, look at that. A little legal speak. Oh, You're a jerk! I know. I know. <laughs> I have to say for me, um, it's got to be the menagerie. Really? Yeah. It's comfort food. Wow, um, it's it's one that goes all the way back to my childhood. I I remember the first time I watched it like it was yesterday. Hmm. Um, I just, I it's an episode I love, and especially I love it even more now that it has that context from Discovery. True.
0: No, oh, that's great. No, I'm glad. I'm glad that you there's know? always a dissenting opinion in the in the crowd.
1: So I'm sorry to strand all you guys on base. Um, <laughs> that was a really terrible thing
3: of me to do. I blame Dan. Just like
0: well, Chris is a Yankees fan, so he understands what that's all about. Uh, oh, I was going
3: wow. to. <laughs> I, you yeah. had to jump in before I said something because I was going <laughs> to say, just like a Boston Red Sox player, you strand everybody there. <sighs>
1: wow. yeah. Well, no, we don't strand people. We're eating beer and chicken in the clubhouse and then yeah. just stealing, stealing <laughs> <science. No>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, That doesn't happen with the Diamondbacks. Let me tell you that right now, mister.
2: That's, yeah, That's <laughs> right.
0: And again, what has happened with the
1: Diamondbacks? But
0: anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Did they,
1: <laughs> <my> dear, <laughs> didn't they... didn't they stack their team to win a world series like 20 30 40 years ago yes
0: they absolutely did yeah yeah
1: oh Oh, well (laughs) anyway
0: Uh. good times
1: well you know there's in these times especially but in every other time too there's nothing better than talking star trek with dear friends and we are so glad that the two of you could join us tonight for a discussion on two-parters i think now we all have a, a watch list for uh, the next week of of episodes we can binge. Um, before we we sort of wrap things up, let's find out where people can um, can can find you online and and do all that stuff. Christina, how can people um, track you down?
2: Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at Trekkie Advocate. Um, I do a Facebook page. I guess you can find me there too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's,
2: I'm a podcaster, so you know. That's I don't okay. Have- the, the, you know, everything. After
1: today, you could be one, After, after today, you never know. You're, you're already doing way better than Dan. And yeah. he's been doing this for five years. Right. Um, and, of course, there's there's Camp Kittimer, I'm sure. So, I mean, yeah. you know, if people want to find you. Chris, uh, you actually are a podcaster. I am. Um, uh, and, and do have your own show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about
3: I it? I do. Uh, I am over on the United Federation of Podcast Network with our dear friends, Brandon and Zach and Tony and Kentrip. Uh, I am doing a Disney podcast with my co host, Patrick Devlin, uh, where we talk Disney and all sub uh, everything under the Disney umbrella. So, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars. I shouldn't have said that. Um, and, you know, and some of the other stuff too. Um, you can find us again. We are Mickey's Marvels. Uh, you can find us on the UFP network, wherever you get your podcast. You can find me That's on awesome. Twitter. At LV, the TFL and VR capital. You can find me on Camp Kittimer, uh lurking, posting, doing what everybody does.
1: Dan, the TFL and VR capital. Did you know I that? I know.
0: That's like, I, wow. That's,
3: six that's, foot have, four capital. Thank you. Six four. Nine. Okay. Thank I, you, I five nine. You were I six, appreciate ten. it.
1: <laughs> it's, it's five nine and three
3: quarters. Don't forget the three quarters. Wow, when, you platforms, platforms, sir, when you wore platforms, sir, when you wore platforms. <laughs> (laughs) okay let's keep it that way
0: okay trips i gotta say i think it's just so awesome that you do a disney podcast and i'm gonna i'm gonna steer off the rails for just a second if i can here (laughs) just watch princess and the frog for the very first time last night and now i can't wait to see what they do with splash mountain since they're redoing it to the princess (laughs) and the frog so that's a podcast uh uh, topic for you right there pal
3: thank you sir uh um, (laughs) you know it's to be honest with you i have been thinking about contacting you dan bill you can go in the other room <laughs> um I, I was actually thinking about contacting you dan because i would i know you how big of a disney fan you are you go to disney mm-hmm. almost every year except for this year but i would love to have you on the oh, show well, yeah. and bill you did, can just do the bumper that, that'd be fun did dan just invite himself on your podcast I did no such thing. No, he, no, said, how I how he said he said, no, he said no, me he it's me not at all. No, he not he, at all. I would never do. He, that. No, he PayPal'd me money. That's what it was. Venmo. <laughs> if that's <laughs> what the PayPal, kids do so nowadays. Outdated. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that.
1: <laughs> I would like to point out I am a Disney fan. I actually only went for the first time in 2014.
3: You went sooner than me. It's been 30 years since I went.
1: I, I had never been. I went for the first time as a forty something year old man and I had the time of a twelve year old boy. It was amazing.
2: Disneyland. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: I my wife and I met my uh my nephew and his wife down at in Orlando and we spent the week going to the Disney parks and it's a time I'll never forget. It was awesome. So so maybe I'll start my own Disney podcast up there.
3: Well, no, no. Honestly, guys, <laughs> honestly, guys, you know I, I I can't have one without the other. So I mean, I would love for you guys to, to be on the podcast. I say no, i you could just
1: you you could because I can't do any more shows with him. He's a jerk. <laughs> well, Dan, one thing that uh, has infinite parts apparently is the music of five-year mission, because I seem to just have that on endless shuffle all day long while I'm working here at home. And, um, man, it really helps the work day pass by a lot better. I got to say, I um I love Five Year Mission, you love Five Year Mission. We want everyone to love the music of Five Year Mission. They're doing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek, and these aren't song parodies, Dan. Mm-hmm. These are these are actual compositions that enhance the episode and, and help you watch them in a different way, which is why we love it so much. So please head on out to net. get all their CDs, send them to yourself, you know, give yourself that gift and uh and and just become a huge fan because we are. Their songs make you think. And that's
0: something that you don't get these days is songs that make you think. So thank you, Five Year Mission, for making us think because God knows Bill doesn't do that very often. Anyway, um hey. I'm sorry. Um, You know, what a great discussion we just had about two-parters, man. Uh One of the episodes we didn't discuss, though, was one of these so-called cliffhangers on TNG. I know it's not one of your favorites, but it's Time's Arrow. And you know the one I mean. You know, I do, data, I do. Yeah, Data goes back in time because, well, He has to, to complete the time paradox of him losing his own head. Uh, But before that happens, he meets up with Guinan, Gul without makeup, and a historical legend who is not only a famous writer, but little did people know, an amazing drummer and songwriter. Drumstickin' is by no means a proper activity for a gentleman. Nonetheless, the deed is done. You know him. I know him. Samuel Clemens. Samuel. Samuel Clemens. Better known as Fark Twain.
1: <sighs> I just, I can't even. It's it's moments like this where I, I wish you had already gone on vacation already. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I I liked that one. I got to do my impersonation and Gul'dakar was there.
0: Ah, the deed. Fark Twain. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, five-year mission, you were saying?
1: fiveyearmission.net, please <laughs> go get all their music and support the band because uh, you are guaranteed to become a huge fan. Dan, we want to remind everyone listening that you can support the Trek Geeks podcast network via Patreon. There you can see the designs for our annual supporters pin for 2020 and the brand new annual t-shirt that's coming soon, as well as get unedited audio of all of our podcasts, along with some other perks there, Dan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we would want to take a moment right now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. And they are Adam Sanders, brand and Everage, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Jim McMahon, Luke Burnham, Eric Sakian, Lisa Tomlinson, Jamie McGregor, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Dave Andrews, Aaron Mollenkopf, Jonathan Hamilton, and the gracious and wonderful
1: Conrad Hutchins. He's Conrad, who, f- who finally got a haircut. I, he, he looks gracious and wonderful, doesn't he? He does. He doesn't look like homeless gracious and wonderful anymore.
0: <laughs> wow. I didn't think it was that bad.
1: I mean, we love you, Conrad. Dan <laughs> Dan, off the mic was saying how homeless you look. <laughs> it was amazing. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trabuzio, I wonder why that name sounds familiar. Craig huh. Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, Rachel Delaney, Kyle Castillo, Chaz Bradshaw, Kimberly Hartman, Christina Werther, Steph Leskew, and the lovely and talented, Jess Fashion. Christina Werther? I've heard of her. Some, yeah. Yeah.
0: She's, yeah, I know. That's a uh, name's uh, rings a bell somewhere. It's somewhere. Anyway, yes, you too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Network, and it is so easy to do. Just head on over to patreon.com slash
1: trekgeeks
0: today for all the details.
1: Dan, next week, you are going to be soaking up the sunshine on the shores of Lake Winnisquam in central New Hampshire for your annual trip to camp. But in two weeks, we will begin our trek to Shakari, or is it Vortavor, or Kuitu? I, I can never remember.
0: Yeah, oh, I can't wait. That's correct. Uh, I have to say a week at the camp is my idea of heaven in whatever language you want to call it. Uh, but upon my return, we will discuss at length one of the most debated movies in the Star Trek franchise. Is it as bad as one side of the argument says? Or is it a lot better than many people believe it to be? In two weeks, we're going to break it all down. It's Star Trek V, The Final Frontier on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the podcast network for your fandom.
1: You know, it's amazing that this isn't an embracing the suck episode. I don't know why we <laughs> didn't do it like that. But uh, that's uh, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, next week. Or, sorry, two weeks. Two weeks. The flagship. Uh-huh. Of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, please check out the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks podcast network. You can find them all, including where to listen, by visiting slash listen. And, of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek show, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 224 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper.
2: Coca! Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. Is a production of Coconut Media Works executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong!
1: Bing bong. Wow. Try to muster a little more excitement here for my uh,
0: Bill, Ch- Bill Belichick version. Uh, actually, no, this would be uh, bing-bong.
1: <laughs> no, we're on to bing-bong.
0: Bing-bong, bing-bong, oh, oh, bing-bong. Oh. I'm not even close to the mic. It's just I have a projection.
1: <laughs> yeah, don't don't project, dude. <laughs> just talk. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing me. Oh, okay, please, no, don't get me started. Oh, I yeah, I bet you'd love that, you big jerk.
0: Mm, oh, just stick the knife and twist it. And it all.
1: You're very violent today.
0: <laughs> you know, I got to tell you. It has nothing to do with violence. It's just I'm excited. I mean, you can tell. You can hear my voice. Yesterday morning was the Mutual Kingdom, Mu- Omaha's. What? Oh God! Mutual of Omaha's Wild, Wild Kingdom. Wild Kingdom. I, I said it right to you earlier. In our backyard. That's,
1: it's because you typed it out, you idiot. Ex-
0: exactly. It, it was unbelievable. The, the animals that we saw in the backyard. We saw a couple hawks flying by at eye level right near our deck. Groundhogs, four chipmunks, three turkeys two deer, and then at one point I got to watch a hawk catch prey on the ground, bring it up to a a fence post on our neighbor's house, and shred that thing and eat it alive. It was quite the morning. Great. (laughs)
1: Yummy. And he kept
0: looking at me going ah,
1: Like what? (laughs) ah. (laughs) You saw an eagle.
0: (laughs) It was a hawk though. It was
1: a hawk though. Yeah, but it was fun.
0: Yeah, so it's kinda neat. I love the animals. We got a deer and a baby deer that have been staying around here the last few nights. It's awesome.
1: They make good eating. No, stop. No, they do. Oh not these. They're my friends. No, they do. They're my friend, my friends. They're not your friends. <laughs> you're
3: friend, not Doctor Doolittle. Oh.
0: No, I'm no, not. You're not Snow White. My next door neighbor growing up though his last name was Doolittle. Does that count? Really? Yeah. Jeff. I didn't Dolittle. know that. Yeah. yeah. Could he talk to the animals? I I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where he is now, so I can't ask him.
1: Oh, so way to go, best friend of the world! Yeah, nice job.
0: Uh, I said nothing about him being friends.
1: I said he was my next door neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a point well taken. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you very every, much.
0: Every once in a while, I get it right.
1: It's rare. It's very rare. But it's I'll, I'll take rare. it when I get it. You know.
0: So um, so
1: many comments in little time. Yeah, that's uh, okay. Uh, I miss you.
0: We haven't seen each – well, like, we've seen each other at the gym, which was good, but we don't really get a chance to talk in person that much.
1: I know. Well, we've seen each other every day for the last couple of years at work. Mm. Um, I feel like we're kind of back in the the first couple of years of Trek Geeks where we – you were recording in Maine and I was recording in New Hampshire. Um, Yeah. I'm finding that as much as I hate people, I'm missing human contact, Um, which is the only reason I started going back to the gym, and that's not without its own peril. Right. Um, because people just don't seem to want to wear masks before they go into the gym, it,
0: which just I, which I don't, I just don't get. I just do not get. There's nothing wrong with it.
1: No, do I it. was working out yesterday, and six feet was uh, not yesterday, a Friday, and uh, the guy to my left in the pod that was six feet measured mm-hmm. out from mine. Yeah, uh, he was turned sideways, facing me, doing his workout because he's yep. taller. Yeah, I could feel him breathing. Oh, from how heavy he was, and I. It weirded me right out. I'm, not I'm sure. Lie. Yeah, I did uh, send a a note of, of feedback to the owner and say, "Look,
0: yep, we're doing. I, we're planning on doing the same thing."
1: I get that people are working hard. I understand, but people have to know that this thing, th- th- this this virus, can be spread through respiratory droplets. And I mm-hmm. have no idea if this guy is asymptomatic, yep, or, or not. Yep, I have no idea if he's tested.
0: I wish everybody would think like you, man,
1: because then people would wear their GD masks. Uh, God. No. Mm-hmm. But no, back to your point. Yeah. Uh, I miss you too, man. It's um, it's it's definitely it, it's. Well, I think we're at seventeen weeks now. I've lost oh, count. God.
0: March thirteenth that morning, yeah, Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, I drove home from work at about ten thirty in the morning, and you were the day before. You didn't go in that day, so it's been a little while. Been a long time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. it's so this is day one fifteen. There you go. So fifteen. It's just it's. It's, and it it's
0: going for another three months at least, at a minimum.
1: Yep, I at think it's minimum. going to extend beyond that.
0: I think it's going to January twenty twenty one. Personally,
1: I think it's going to beyond that. I think oh. that uh, I think STLV in in December will probably get canceled. Well. um, and I I can't I can't blame them. I don't I don't see myself going to Georgia for Thanksgiving like I do every year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, that's gonna be. I have a feeling there's another round of stay at homes coming. And knowing what it's like just to try to get people to wear a GD mask. Yeah. Yep. Um, I just, I I I weep for humans. I really do. Cull the herd. <laughs> the that's all I got to say. The problem is the herd thinks they know better than doctors. Uh, well, then cull them. Well, unfortunately, they're taking out too many people who are trying to do uh, it yeah, right Yeah,
0: that's then. true. It's just, it's just a, we oh, could get on a whole topic. But we're not going to do that because why? We're Trekkies. We're happy people. <laughs> well, I am. You're... Sad state of
1: affairs. (laughs) I'm kind of a piece of trash. (laughs) Um, I have to say, really, the only thing that has kept me sane is our daily interactions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yours and mine online, you know, through chat. Um, Having my wife, you know, is like I know for you with with Sue, has been probably uh, the best thing possible. Yeah. Um, But Star Trek has kept me grounded, man. Yep. I got to tell you. Um, whether it's watching DS9 on occasion or, or picking up Star Trek online like I have in the last week, mm-hmm. um, Trek has, has kept me going and it's something I'm incredibly thankful for right now uh, yeah. because I need that positivity and I need that hope.
0: It's great that people have something to hold on to at times like this too. And, and just like you, Star Trek is for me too, man. It's just, it's fantastic. Whether it's, whether it's watching episodes or reading novels or, or reading Dayton Ward's daily stuff because he is just freaking hilarious. Yeah. Uh, his new book, uh, came out, which I understand Holly Amos got named in it. That's pretty awesome. Agents of Influence. Yeah. Still yeah. waiting for us though. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you hear that I date? told,
1: I told him that we need to be a couple of red shirts that get uh, killed off in a future. Vaporized.
0: Yeah, just I mean, and not like with the with the Veronti disruptor. If, I mean, oh. just a nice bad one. That'd be
1: awesome. Oh, that'd be great. I'm thinking like transporter accident. Oh, like mm. uh, like motion picture.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Sonac.
1: Enterprise. Yep. What we got back didn't live long. Fortunately,
0: there's nothing you could have done, Rand. It wasn't your fault.
1: My favorite quote from that whole scene is this one. <coughs> I just need a second. <laughs> oh no, they're forming.
0: Wait a minute, wait. Ah! Wait, was... <laughs> and then it's like kind of like a metallic sounding, and then just Have this you... sludge pile that you could kind of see but not.
1: Have you ever seen the the video of the actors on set without the special effects? No. Oh, it's hilarious. Oh, I'm going to have to check it out. That's I'm sh- I'm positive it's on YouTube. I'm sure but they're just sort of moving around and gyrating. and you know, like, <laughs> All right, now, pre- I, can you imagine how this went on set with, with director Robert Wise? Okay, so you're in this transportation system on the ship. It beams you from one place to the other, except there's a problem. And your character's going to die in this scene, I'm sorry to say. So <laughs> I want you to pretend like your insides are being twisted right out, and it's the greatest pain you've ever experienced, okay? And... On And begin. (laughs) All right, wait, wait, cut. Back to one. Um, Sonak, I need you to ride around a little more. Okay, here we go. Rolling. Action. (laughs) That's good. Cut. Print it. (laughs) I imagine it went Uh, like that.
0: That's awesome. I'm going to have to look for that after we're done recording, because that'll be funny to watch. I wonder how many takes they did on that. Uh, And Sonak couldn't show emotion because he was Vulcan. So he'd be Like, like, Ow. Sorry. Well,
1: I, I'm sure at that point uh, the logic's going out the window because uh, um, the greatest pain you've ever experienced. Bach even screams in pain. He does.
0: Uh, you see all the flashes. Because uh, that's kind of what he sounds like when he screams. It's kind of a weird scream.
1: <laughs> you're, I, I wish I had had a screenshot ready to, do, to take a screen print of your face while you were doing that. Looks like my
0: picture today from the gym.
1: Well, that'd be a new emoji on, on Discord for our patrons. It's a true story. On uh, if, if you're one of our, our Patreon-type people, you get access to our private Discord channel. And one of the emojis that I've created on there is Grumpy Dan. It's Dan who looks like Grumpy Cat, and it's awesome. Still looks pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah. That's that's pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I haven't changed. Uh, there is no Bill emoji yet. That's only because Bill creates the emojis.
0: I'm sure I can get one.
1: You'd have to log in. You know in what to would be a to find good out. one.
0: You know what the good one would be with you hosing the phaser from work that you you that you did one year. The sad phaser face. That's oh
1: cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, That's a good, good one. one. I would have to do phaser. like the polar opposite of your grumpy face, like super happy face, like <laughs>
0: <laughs> like that,
1: like that. I don't know who he is. I know he's a singer.
0: He's got all the tattoos all over his face. But there's a commercial for I don't know if it's Bud Light seltzer or some, one of those seltzers, and he drinks it, and all of like the people there's a whole bunch of people in his brain like a command center and they're like oh this is really good give him the happy face and he's like <laughs> and they're like no back off back off i don't know i'm not sure what the guys do you mean is. like post malone i have no i've had the slightest idea no clue i'd have to pull up i'd have to go to another window and pull up that name because i have no idea what's his name post malone okay let me see if that's him let's see let's see let's see mm, yep that's him all right yep and it's the face he makes is really funny because he's like,
1: Argh. "I can understand <laughs> why you didn't know who he is because your musical taste rivals that of a fourteen-year-old girl in any uh, era." Oh,
0: dude, I am so heavy into AC/DC and Led Zeppelin and stuff lately. Uh, please, I, I'm not even joking, Asu.
1: When I first met you, I can't tell you how many times you listened to "Baby One More Time" by oh, yeah. Britney Spears
0: oh, yeah. at work. I know all the pop hits from the from the from the females back then. Yeah, absolutely. You still do. And the
1: males, come on, and you the male boy bands too.
0: Absolutely. And but no, it's been 70s rock like constantly
1: for months. Love it. Is it because you're trying to accept your midlife crisis?
0: <laughs> no, I think it all started because of Thunderstruck at the gym. <laughs> there oh, you see, that God. made you not smile anymore.
1: The gym makes me not smile. <laughs>
0: One of these days, we're going to be doing Thunderstruck at the gym, and during the guitar solo, I'm going to break out into the Angus dance with a guitar. I'm just going to be doing that up and down the, the thing at the gym.
1: You mean so once gonna- uh, you, you're not restricted to your exactly. workout pod?
0: Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: All right there, Jerky. Ready to do this? <laughs>
0: wow, what a plethora of topics we discussed
1: in today's outtake. This is a long outtake. It and is. thank you for staying with us this long for non-Star Trek content. <laughs> Although we did talk some Star Trek. So We did, you know, a little
0: bit. Now we've got to talk about it for a whole hour, so you know, I
1: don't want to get tired. I, um, I oh, love you, I miss your face.
0: I miss your face. So I'm seeing it right now and I still miss it. I just like to rub my face on it. On my hand, <laughs> on your face <laughs> rather. <laughs> oh, wow, that's not
1: bad. I did. Let's do this.